Uh, good morning, Shabbat Shalom. Not a place to put my water. I might have to put it right here. That's cool. Uh, we uh, are back, at least me and my son are, and uh, it's been crazy. Uh, we're both, my wife and I, you know, Brooke, you, a lot of you have met her, we're both school teachers, so uh, at public school, high school level, so it, it's been interesting. We're in Georgia and right below Atlanta, and uh, yeah, it's been a very interesting time, you know, um, waiting for some things to get back to normal. But uh, yeah, that's what we've been doing, and uh, we've been really busy. We've missed, we, we had such a wonderful time at Sukkot. You guys are amazing, and uh, we felt like we were part of the family, and uh, still feel like that very much. So anyway, we're, we're just happy to, to be back, and uh, yeah, just wanted to say it's good to see many of your faces again. Okay, so to get right in, Toldot, um, deals with uh, a lot of things, but mainly uh, Esau and Jacob. And a couple of things I want to say. So we're going to talk about that. And I think um, for, I think, two groups of people, I don't want to say two groups of people, but I think um, it's an encouraging message if you're someone who feels like God has a destiny for you. The answer is He does. It's a question of whether or not, you know, we look at Scripture. Hebrews 11 is the, is the great faith roll call, right? By faith, Noah did this. By faith, David did that. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Isaac did that. You want to make that roll call, right? Because there's some names that didn't make it. People like Saul. People like Cain. People like Esau. Jacob makes it. Esau doesn't. David makes it. Saul does not. It has to do with the choices we make. It has to do with not perfection, heaven's sakes. Thank God that it's not about perfection, that it's not about getting it right every time. But I think that if you're someone who truly loves God and wants to please Him and fulfill the purpose that He put you here on this earth for, um, but maybe you feel like you're stuck and you don't know how, like, what am I supposed to do? Either you don't know what you're supposed to do or you know that God has given you something and it's not happening. Like, everything looks like it would be impossible. Like, you told me this would happen. You told me I would do this or you gifted me this way, but I'm stuck in this situation. So I think it's encouraging for that person. But there's the other person that maybe feels like they've made too many mistakes They've sinned too much. Somehow, apparently, there's this magic number that you can sin a certain number of times and you exhaust God's mercy. I'm not telling you to go crazy, and God's not telling you to go crazy. But if, all, if one of us in this room could get it right, then it would be the gospel according to Toby. It would be, we'd be praying in Toby's name. We don't. We pray in Yeshua's name because he was the one who did it. And maybe you feel like, to use an, an analogy, I've screwed up too many times, so God's just going to put me on the bench. I'm not going to get to play. I'm not going to be important to his plan because I've done something one too many times. And I think for that person, it could be, it's going to be encouraging if you're willing to open your heart and receive the truth because the fact that you could out God's grace and mercy is a lie. So I, I, when I got here, I used GPS. We all use GPS. I think we use GPS to go to the store. We might know how to get someplace, but we still use GPS. 
Um, what happens if you make a wrong turn on the GPS? What happens to your arrival time? It's like if you're supposed to get there at 8.05 and you make a wrong turn, what generally happens to your arrival time? It gets pushed back a few minutes. It's not that you don't make it, but it takes longer. We're going to talk about how Jacob did that in Toldot. How Jacob actually did have a calling on his life, which he gets to. Because if you go to Hebrews 11, it talks about Jacob. And many of us probably know Jacob's story. And we know that Jacob was a person with a lot of issues, like many of us here, like me. And he did not, he, he takes a major, before he even begins his destiny, he takes a major wrong turn, which I believe postponed his arrival. Does he get there? Yes. But I think the message is, you don't have to postpone your arrival. But it's still encouraging for you today if you've done something that maybe postponed your arrival. So I'm going to read uh, the passage. We're going to go through a little bit of this narrative, and I'm going to stop and talk about it. So Esau and Jacob, we're going to start with, um, I believe it's Genesis 26, nine, no, excuse me, 25, 19, not 26, 25, 19. Now these are, so we're at Genesis 25, 19, and I'm going to read a little bit of this here. Now these are the, gene, uh, the genealogies of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took for himself Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Paddan Aram. The sister of Laban, he's important, remember him, Laban the Aramean to be his wife. Isaac prayed to Adonai on behalf of his wife because she was barren. Adonai answered his plea and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. But the children struggled with one another inside her and she said, if it's like this, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. That's great. If you don't know what's going on, you need to ask God what's up. He's not like people. You ever feel, you ever, you ever know people? It could be a boss. It could be a person that you know. You don't have to be a boss. It can be a person that you just know. It could be a friend. You're like, God, I hate asking them something because of the way they respond. That is not how God is. I think one of the biggest issues that we deal with day to day as people is we see so many people, we start to think God acts like people. And he's not a man that he's going to be like, hey, I don't have time with this right now. I want to deal with you. I don't want to listen. Just hold on. Shh. Like I do with my kids sometimes. Like, not right now. No. It's not how God treats us. He's always available. So inquire of him if you don't know what's happening. Rebecca is a good woman. She went to inquire of Adonai. Adonai said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from your body will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other people but the older will serve the younger. The older will serve the younger. God said it. They've not been born yet. And God told Rebecca, the older will serve the younger. The Lord clearly establishes that the older son would serve the younger son. He said it would happen. The question is, does God need help to make things happen? Oftentimes he don't. I'd say he, usually, he uses people, but he doesn't need our help. But Rebecca and Jacob later on, they're going to feel like, we got to do this. We got we to push this thing along, just like Abraham did, right? Abraham and Sarah, we, we, we just got to turn the crank. Like God's like, yes, please do. Because I don't know how to do it. So when her time came to give birth, indeed, there were twins. Now the first came out reddish. All of him was like a fur coat, and they named him Esau. After, afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So he was Jacob, named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when he fathered them. 
When the boys grew up, Esau became a man knowledgeable in hunting and outdoorsman, while Jacob was a mild man remaining in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So here we have our first problem. Isaac and Rebekah were divided when it came to their children. So, you know, when you sometimes see a family that seems like they have a lot of drama, sorry, uh, when, it, it might make you think, oh man, what's wrong with them? This, this, these, are our, these are our patriarchs, and they had issues in their home, fighting over their children. Despite this, keep in mind, God had spoken the prophecy over the children before they were born. It's safe to say that the parents knew this. Definitely Rebecca did when God told her. So you can imagine as Jacob grew up, she's going to say, you're going to serve your brother, you know, your brother's going to serve you. Usually it's the firstborn, right? But you know, God told me. And he did. Yet division, fear, and intrigue is going to culminate in an underhanded deception that's going to affect many lives. Let's go right on into what happens. Jacob cooked a stew, so they're a little older now. When Esau came in from the field, he was exhausted. So Esau said to Jacob, please feed me some of this really red stuff because I'm exhausted. That is why he is called Edom. So Jacob said, sell your birthright to me today. Esau said, look, I'm about to die. Of whatever use is this to me, a birthright? Jacob said, make a pledge to me now. So he made a pledge to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Now, when we read Malachi earlier, it said, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. And it seems like, well, man, golly, what does that mean? Does that mean God can just love and hate certain people based on what they do? I mean, based before they're even born? No, actually, we see the problem here. Esau despised the responsibility, and he despised a life with God. He despised the blessing. It says here, the first problem, honestly, is Jacob's scheming. It's clear Jacob, Rachel, excuse me, Rebecca's favorite, knew the prophecy because he's positioning himself to get what God said he would have. He's doing it, though. He is, and he's not letting God position him. He's not letting God tip the scepter. He's positioning himself to get it. And God said he would have it. So he feels justified to do it on, to, to scheme his way into getting what he's supposed to have. But we also have to talk about Esau's contempt of his responsibilities. Scripture makes it clear Esau despised his birthright. He just simply didn't care about responsibility and about a lifestyle with God. The Hebrew word is bazaar, which literally means to despise, to treat with contempt, disgusting, and vile. So yeah, I would say God didn't like Esau because Esau didn't like God, it seems. He did not hold important and dear the things that were important to the Lord. The answer to both questions regarding Jacob and Esau here is no. It's clear that Esau's behavior in regard for the birthright is wrong, but by no means does it justify Jacob to steal it. Let's keep going. Now, when, Esau, when Isaac grew older and his eyes were too dim to see, he called Esau, his elder son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he said to him. Look, I'm old. I don't, know when the, I don't know the day of my death, so now please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt me some game. Then prepare me a delicious meal that I love. Bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. It's looking like it's going to go to Esau. It's looking like it's going to go to Esau. Everything, even though he hates it, and he doesn't care, and he was willing to sell his birthright for soup, it's looking like it's going to go to him. How many times has God told us something and we think, that's not going to happen because look at what's happening in front of me. Look at what I see. 
Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac was speaking to Esau. The Hebrew word is shema. And we know that word, right? And the, the word shema means to hear intelligently, which means Rebekah was like, what is he saying so I can do something about this? Often with the implication of attention, obedience, it's causative. She was listening because she knew what was going to happen and what she felt like she needed to do. Rebekah was listening. So while Esau went to the field to hunt game to bring in, Rebekah said to Jacob, Look, I heard your father speaking to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare me a delicious meal so that I may eat and bless you in Adonai's presence before my death. So now, my son, listen to my voice, what I am commanding you. Who usually says that? Listen to what I'm commanding you in Scripture. The Lord. And this is Rebekah. Listen to my voice, what I am commanding you. Rebecca is playing God. Go now to the flock and bring me two good young goats from there so that I may prepare them as a delicious meal for your father that he'll love, and you'll bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before his death. But Jacob said to Rebecca, oh, okay, this is good. Look, my brother Esau is a hairy man, but I'm a smooth man. Not like, mom, that's wrong. It's, well, wait, he's not going to know. He's not going to know I'm Esau. It's ridiculous. Perhaps my father will touch me and he'll take me for a mocker and I'll bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. Here we go. Then his mother said to him, let your curse fall on me, my son. Just listen to me and go and get them for me. Got to stop again because we have two more problems. One, Rebecca is coming up with a plan. And two, Rebecca is tragically misguided that her fear is that God's word won't come to pass so she has to make it happen. Also, she's tricked into thinking that she has the authority to, a, to direct where a curse is going to go. She's like, oh, don't worry. It's going to happen to me. Guys, curses are messy. They generally get on a lot of people. In this case, honestly, it's Jacob that bears the curse. But really, they both do. But the fact of the matter is the fact that Rebecca actually believes that it's going to be okay because I said the curse is going to fall on me, so that's what's going to happen. Like, God's going to go, oh, okay. Thanks for saying that. So now I know what to do. And we do that. We do that sometimes. We have to be careful. We have to be more than careful. We have to really look at this as a warning. When God says something's going to happen, you've got to let him do it. And nothing God tells you to do is going to require you to do something on your part that's going to have guilt on you. We're going to look at this in a minute with David. King David. So... Um, I lost my place, of course. Okay, so Rebecca's horribly wrong here. So we're on verse 14 now of 26, I believe. He went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared. She did the whole thing. Took Esau's favorite clothes that were on her in the house, put them on her younger son Jacob, along with skins of young goats on his hands and the hairless part of his neck. She put the delicious meal and bread that he had prepared in the hand of Jacob, her son. She's doing it all. Just here, here, just do it. Then he came to his father and said, My father... And he said, I'm here. Who are you, my son? So that's Jacob's first chance to say, I shouldn't do this. I'm Jacob. I'm out. Then Jacob said to his father, I'm your firstborn, Esau. I've done just what you've said to me. Sit up, please, and eat some of my wild game so that your soul may bless me. Like, come on, let's do this. You can bless me. It's amazing. Nothing new under the sun. This is what they're doing. Then Isaac said to his son, how in the world were you able to find it so quickly, my son? So here's another chance for you to get it right, Jacob. He said, because Adonai, your God, made it happen for me. No, your mom did. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come closer so I can feel you, my son, whether or not you really are my son. So you see the chances that God is giving Jacob just to go, just get out of there. 
get out of there. God's like, I can do this. Watch. It's not going to be hard. Nothing's hard for me. Let me do this. Don't do it. Like, don't, because if you do, then you're going to have a curse on you. Then you're going to have guilt, and I'm going to have to deal with it because I'm just. It doesn't matter if Esau's a, a bad. It doesn't matter that he despises the birthright. It doesn't matter that he doesn't care to walk with me. That doesn't give you a right because you do regard me. Just because, we're, just because we're children of God doesn't mean we can go out to someone in the world and do them wrong. We can't do anybody wrong. Jacob came closer to his father Isaac and he felt him and he said, the voice is Jacob's voice. His hands are, the hands are Esau's hands. He did not recognize him because his hands were like the hairy hands of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. But he said, are you really my son Esau? Good Lord. Jacob's getting so many chances. How many times does God give us chances? Like, just turn, turn. And he said, I am. Then he said, bring it to me and I'll eat some of my son's wild game so that my soul may bless you. He brought it to him and ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, please come closer and kiss me, my son. So he came closer and kissed him. When he smelled the smell of his clothes, it must be Esau. So he blessed him gave him the blessing we're going to go down to verse 30 no sooner had Isaac finished blessing Jacob it's done Jacob had just gone out from uh, his father Isaac's presence and Esau his brother came in from hunting and he prepared everything and brought it to his father and said to his father let my father get up and eat of his son's wild game so your soul may bless me and he said uh, and his father Isaac said who are you he said I'm your son the firstborn Esau then Isaac trembled with intense trembling and said, Who was it then that hunted wild game and brought it to me? I ate it all just before you came, and I blessed him. And yes, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he shouted with an intensely bitter groan, then said to his father, Bless me too, my father. Then he said, Your, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, this is why he is named Jacob, since he's tricked me twice, twice already. My birthright, he's taken, look, now he's taken my blessing. Then he said, haven't you saved a blessing for me? So while we're understandably hurt for Esau, maybe, we have to understand that what Esau is suffering is the direct consequence of living a lifestyle of not caring about it. And suddenly it means something. Suddenly it matters. Guys, a, a walk with God is a lifestyle. You know, it's, it's a lifestyle. And the things of God are about living a life of obedience to the best of your ability. When you fall, you get up, down seven, up eight, and you tell God you're sorry, and you repent, and you keep going. And if you fall into the same thing again, well, then you get up, and you repent, and you keep going. And you do that, you're always going to end up back there, back on that, that destination. Might be a few minutes later, might not change. But you're going to end up back there where you need to be. It's a lifestyle of staying on the path. Nobody stays on it 100%. Only one did it. That's why we're here. But Esau did not live a lifestyle. He simply wanted to do what he wanted to do, and then when it was time to get the benefits, he showed up. And that was wrong. At the same time, Rebecca and Jacob have brought a curse on themselves. Their immediate consequence is that the family is fractured. Rebecca reported the word, uh, excuse me, it says here in verse 41, so Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of his blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, let the time for mourning my father draw near so I can kill my brother Jacob. So Rebecca has to, she basically tells Jacob, you gotta go. And this is what she does. Verse 43, now my son, listen to my voice, right? Mom's done everything right so far, right? Get up, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran. Yeah, go to Laban. 
he's going to run right into his consequences. Guys, God's not finished with Jacob. I don't want to say too much because that's in the next Parsha, but Jacob is going to get a taste of his own medicine. It's the problem of trying to do things your way. Jacob got the blessing, but he did it underhandedly. He did it deceitfully, and then he emerged with the blessing and guilt. And God's like, well, we've got to do something about that. The bottom line is the waiting is the hardest part of this thing. I, actually, Tom Petty said that. The waiting is the, it's a good song. <laughs> it is the hardest part, but it's not for us to make our destinies happen. David knew this. David was anointed a boy to be the next king. The problem was he was anointed the next king. There was still a physical king. It was Saul. And Saul had lived a life of disobedience, very much an Esau-style life doing what he wanted to do, enjoying what was afforded to him by the crown, but not upholding the responsibilities to the God that said, here. Saul was chosen by God. God had anointed David, but it wasn't time. And as we know, David ends up on a random errand to bring his brother some food. You know, that's, there's such a message in that. You know, David was just bringing food to his brothers on the battlefield. David didn't say, I'm going to take this cheese and this bread and... I'm going to meet my destiny. He didn't know. He was just doing something. Never, ever, ever, ever underestimate the simplicity of your life, doing something that you might not think, oh, God, i got to do this again. It might be the day that pfft, intersection. David shows up, and then he says, who's that? Well, that's, that's, that's Goliath. Next thing you know, David doesn't even go back home, I don't think. He, he's whisked away. Destiny. And because of God's blessing on David, Saul grows jealous. David has to leave. We all know that, right? We know that Saul pursues David. And David has two opportunities to pull a Jacob. And he doesn't. 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24. I'm going to start with verse 1. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, they told him, Look, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to search for David and his dudes, like a little group near the rocks of, of, of the mountain goats. When he came across the sheepfolds along the way where there was a cave, Saul went in to relieve himself. Saul had to use the bathroom. So when David and his men were already sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, David's men said to him, this is amazing, you ready? Look, it's the day that Adonai spoke to you about. Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand so that you may do to him what seems good to your eyes. Then David crept out and cut off a corner of Saul's robe stealthily. But afterward, David's conscience bothered him from cutting off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, this is incredible, guys. This is what you need to listen to. Adonai forbid that I should do such a thing to my Lord. Adonai's anointed, stretching out my hand against him, for he is Adonai's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these roars and did not let them rise against Saul. Then Saul left the cave and went on his way. It's amazing. David's like, I could do it. I could. And then... But David knew, no, 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 that's not the way this works. God's going to do it. Now, when David finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> afterward, uh, eventually David confronts Saul, and then verse 16 of 1 Samuel 24, verse 16, David uh, basically says, he calls out Saul, and Saul says, is this your voice, my son David? That's sad. They had a close relationship. They had to have. David was essentially adopted into Saul's family. Saul lifted up his voice and wept aloud. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have done good to me while I have done evil to you. Now behold, I know for certain, this is incredible. God can, 
Now, I hope none of you have a person that's trying to, you know, that's chasing you to try to kill you. At the very least, I hope there's nobody that's in your job or in your life that just seems like they're out to get you. But God can make that very person who can't stand you say this, something like this, like what Saul says to David. This is Saul trying to kill him, but then by the end of it, he says, now behold, I know for certain that you will be king, that the kingdom of Israel will rise in your hand. It's amazing. Now, you would, now that sounds pretty amazing, but two chapters later, however long, Saul's after David again. The Ziphites, this is Second Samuel 26, the Ziphites went to Saul at Gabeah and said, is not David hiding on the hill of Hekelah, which faces Jeshimon? So Saul went down to the desert of Zeph with 3,000 men again. He's like, guys, we're doing it again. We're going to get David. We're going to get it this time. I know. It's going to work. So David takes one of his guys, verse 7, Abishai, went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Again, another moment like Jacob had. Abishai, verse 8, said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. Like, I'll get him. You won't even have to do anything, David. But David said, this is, a, this is why he's the man after God's own heart. Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Or his time will come and he will die. Or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Understand, that's what Jacob should have said to his mom. Hey, mom, God's going to do this some way. Why do we have to go and get our hands dirty? Taking something holy from the, Let God bestow it Once again David actually confronts Saul He goes and calls him out from a, uh, he, go, he calls him out on the battlefield Saul recognized David's voice Is that your voice David my son David replied yes it is my lord the king The lord rewards everyone for their righteousness And faithfulness verse 23 The lord delivered you into my hands today But I would not lay a hand on the lord's anointed As surely as I value your life today So may the lord value my life And deliver me from all trouble And then Saul said to David verse 25 May you be blessed David my son You will do great things And surely triumph God saying you want to know how powerful I am I'm going to make this dude who's trying to kill you say You're going to win That's what what he can do We just have to let him David let God be God And it wasn't that David was like, don't lay a hand on Saul because Saul's such a great guy. He's saying, listen, as he he respected the Lord's anointing. He goes, God's anointing is on him. We can't touch him. Yeah, he's a crappy guy, but God is saying, not yet. And what ends up happening, guys? Saul falls on his own sword. Saul does Saul in, and David ascends to the throne of Israel guiltless. We all have a destiny. We all have a calling. God put each of us here for a reason. I know that's, we hear that all the time, right? If you flip through Instagram or something, you're here for a reason. It is true, though. It's just we hear it so many times, it often loses its value. Scripture is filled with men and women who both succeeded and failed to reach their destinies. It's about faithfulness, the choices we make, respecting the Lord and his ways, respecting the fact that if he says he's going to do something with your life, he will do it with your life. You will not have to push and elbow your way as if God's like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you try something. I mean, you can do it. Cain, Esau, Korah, Saul, many of Israel's kings, many of Judah's kings, men that likely had great destinies but instead decided to go their own way, ending in either destruction or fading away into obscurity. It's not because God said, you're born for destruction. I I just don't like you. I, I I got some good folks, got some bad folks. 
their choices, Cain's choices. He didn't give up. He didn't give God the best. Esau despised his birthright. Korah, rebellion. Saul, power. It's not to say these guys were bad apples. It's certainly about the choices we make, the content of our hearts. But even the righteous ones in Hebrews 11 committed egregious sins. Here's what I'm getting at. Oftentimes they were afraid. Oftentimes they second-guessed themselves. Oftentimes they did terrible things. But the key is how they responded when God told them. They made wrong turns. But the key was, it was how they responded when God said, hey, you shouldn't have did that. They repented. They returned to God, returning to the path. Moses struck an Egyptian and killed him. He had an awful temper. It was his temper that kept him in the wilderness when he struck the rock at Meribah. My mom has a real issue with that. If she's listening, she's probably like, oh God. She hates that Moses didn't make it to the promised land. How could Moses not do it? Yeah, he made mistakes, but look at what he endured. But look at what the scripture says as his epitaph. This is what God said. For one thing, nobody knows where Moses is buried because God buried Moses. He said, this one's mine. Only I'm gonna know where this one is. But the fact is, is here's Moses' epitaph with all of his mistakes there is not risen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom Adonai knew face to face, with all the signs and wonders Adonai sent to him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and all his servants and all his land, by the strong hand and great awe that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. David, we know what David did. David triumphed over Saul, but when David had to deal with his own issues, he failed miserably at times. David committed heinous sins of murder, conspiracy to murder, adultery, lying, he nailed them all. But when he's, his last words are mentioned in Scripture, it says this in Second Samuel. These are the last words of David, the utterance of David, the son of Jesse, the utterance of the man raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet singer of Israel, not the adulterer. It's God's mercy. When we return to God, his mercy takes our sins away. You have to take your punishment like a son, as David did, but God takes those sins away. And when he mentions us, he doesn't mention it. He says, sweet singer, anointed of me. God's, God's like, I'm proud of this kid. In Revelation 5, 5, it says, in reference to the Messiah, stop weeping, behold the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. Read about Judah's life. The root of David has overcome so as to open the book in its seven seals. What I'm saying is Yeshua was proud to have David attached to his name. This is a guy who did some really crappy things. Horrible. Mercy. And look out for how the Lord, understand, the Lord's got you, but the enemy is going to, he's going to target your t the temptation. He just doesn't go, hey, check this out. Go after it. He knows you, he knows you, he knows you, and he's going to tailor it. Look at Yeshua. Yeshua himself was tempted. It doesn't mean that it, w it wasn't going through the motions, guys. It was hard in the wilderness. He was hungry. He was tired. And do you want to know what I think the toughest thing that Yeshua had to deal with? Was knowing what he was capable of, but he couldn't do it. He could act, understand this. When people worshiped him, he didn't go, no, 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 no. Don't do that. He said, yes. When Pilate said, they say you're a king, he's like, you said it. That's right. But can you imagine what he said, man, I could really show him what I could do. And the enemy knew that. 
So in Matthew 4, when he's tempted, Yeshua says, uh, excuse me, then Yeshua was led by the Ruach into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, then the devil shows up. Not when you're feeling good, when you're weak. He was hungry. He wasn't like, oh man, this is hard. This isn't hard. It was hard. He was hungry. When the tempter came to him, he said, if you are Ben Elohim, the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I'm not going to give you Yeshua's response because we know how Yeshua did it. He, he dealt with it. But if you are Ben Elohim, if you're the son of God, which means I know you want to let these people know, these, these people, I know you want to tell them. I know you want to go into Rome, this oppressive society that's taken God's chosen people, taken over his land. You want to like, you want to show them who you really are. He's like, if you are, just do this. The second uh, temptation, the devil took him into the holy city and placed him on the highest point of the temple. If you are Ben Elohim, throw yourself down. Which means, again, if you're the son of God, if God loves you and you're his son, just, just don't you want to prove it to me? Because I don't think, it, it, you understand how he's tempting Yeshua with the things that he knew he was. And the last one, the devil takes him to a very high mountain, verse 8, and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Yeshua knew the kingdoms would be his one day. So when the enemy showed him, it was like, don't you just want it now? Like, go ahead. Just got to worship me. Yeshua knew. Yeshua knew that God would give everything that was meant to be his in due time. He knows. He's still waiting. He's still waiting for that other foot to drop. He's just waiting for the Lord to say, go. He has to wait too. Understand, guys. Uh, it's a tough walk. And I just want to encourage you. And um, I, I really felt led by the Lord just to, uh, to end by just praying over you guys and reading this scripture because I think the one thing we do as, as people is we oftentimes remember what we should forget and we forget what we should remember. So I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning. If you're these two groups of people, if you're someone who I know God's called me to something, but I just feel stuck and I don't see how that's going to come to fruition. I'm praying for you. And if for those of you who somehow have believed the lie and it's not like it's hard to believe, it's not like it's, it's, it's a hard lie to, to fall prey to it's easy to fall prey to the lie that all the enemy shows you is your failures and I'm here to sh I'm, I want to I want to encourage you today so I'm just simply going to ask everyone to close your eyes and allow me to um, pray and I truly pray today I'm going to ask right now Father in the name of Yeshua the Messiah I pray for a breakthrough today I pray for the chains to break or at least the beginning of the chains to break. For people who feel like they have a destiny and they're, and they're called, but it, they just seem like they're stuck. Father, I just pray that you would show them a sign of your favor today, Lord, to let them know that the enemy has not triumphed over them. That you're not just some person. You're not just some dot. You're not just some speck that has no consequence. I think it's the toughest thing that we deal with is feeling like we, have, we are inconsequential. And I pray that God today let you know how valuable you are to him. It's exceeding. The admiration that you have for the Messiah Yeshua, God gave him so he would have us. He said it pleased the Father to crush the Son because he was going to see his offspring. He was going to see you. 
It's going to see you. Pray that they hold on, Lord. I pray that you give them strength. I pray that as David strengthens himself in Adonai, that they strengthen themselves in you today and let them know you never know when it's going to happen. One day, you're just going to get, it's just going to, it's going to be a collision, a divine collision. God's just going to collide, and your life will never be the same. For those of you who love God, truly, you love God, but you have either a failure, a besetting sin, a series of failures, and you feel like, I'm done. You're done with me. You're just going to pull me out, out of the game. You're going to sit me on the bench, and that's where you're going to keep me. No. I pray that you remember and that today you'll be able to say what David said in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord. David, read about his life. This is what he said. Bless Adonai, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless Adonai, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. All, all, all. Not all the little ones and leaves the big ones. Not this, not, well, I got them all, but this one I don't like. I can't believe you did this, kid. All your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassions. He satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. Adonai executes justice. Don't feel like you've been forgotten if you've truly been done wrong. He executes judgments for all who are oppressed. He has not forgotten you. He made his ways known to Moses, his deeds to the children of Israel, and he still does it today. Adonai is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and plentiful in mercy, not like us. He will not always accuse. He will not keep his anger forever. He has not treated us according to our sin or repaid us according to our iniquities. In fact, Psalm 130 says he doesn't keep a record. As far as east is from the west... So far has he removed our transgressions from us. He doesn't want nothing between you and him. And this is beautiful. As a father has compassion on his children, so Adonai has compassion on those that fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. He knows. He knows you're weak. He knows. Just go to him today. The mercy of Adonai, and I'm going to end with this, is from everlasting to everlasting on those who revere him. His righteousness to his children's children. And guys, with everything going on today, please remember this. Adonai has set up his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all.